This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. We love murder. Right? We like to watch it. We like to read about it. We like it in our movies. We like it in our TV shows. We're driven by the drama and the violence. And we like to make sure that no one gets away with it. But oh, how we are as a people entertained by it. We can look back maybe 2,000 years and you see the Colosseum and you see the Romans and you're like, what a barbarian group. They would just gather to watch people get slaughtered. Oh, they just thought it was entertainment. We kind of do the same, don't we? In our novels, in our movies... And we say it's just entertainment. But it does say something about our heart, doesn't it? Should we not be surprised that in the middle of the Ten Commandments, God makes a commandment? Don't kill each other. Don't kill each other. I mean, of all the things that he could have said, of the ten most important things that humans would need to know, You'd think we wouldn't need to be told that one, right? You'd think that we just kind of come along with the package of being a human being. We kind of respect humanity and we're mindful of humanity. But why is it that God has to explicitly say, don't kill each other? Believe it or not, it's actually very unique as far as law codes go from the ancient Near East. The Code of Hammurabi, one of the oldest law codes that we have on record, it doesn't say anything about don't murder each other. The Romans, the great Roman Empire, they never had a law that said don't kill each other. This is not the state's business. Y'all kill each other, that's fine. You keep it amongst yourselves. We don't get involved. God, it's quite unique that he would say to his people in a very general way, Don't kill each other. Don't do it. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, why do we have to be told this? And what does it mean? We're in the middle of a series going through the Ten Commandments. They start with a story. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We're told who God is and what God does and what he wants us to know about him. That he's number one and he's a delivering God. He is a delivering savior. Because that's true. Number two, don't make for yourself an idol. Don't you go making idols. Images to worship, to bow down to. Why? God says, I already made my image. I already made my idol. It's you. Number three, don't take my name in vain. Hold my reputation highly. Don't empty my name of its purpose and its mission. Number four, remember the Sabbath. 
Remember a weekly time that images a future time where all will be made right. But set aside a time weekly to remember me, to remember who you are and what we're doing. Last week, honor your father and mother. That was fun. It's been fun afterwards listening to you guys talk about honoring your father and mother. Some of you said, I didn't have a mother and a father that were honorable. I respect that. But what is being said there? It's a call to arms in many ways. A generational responsibility to pass on the great story of God's deliverance. And it's a hundred year plan. If a generation will rise up and do that to pass it on, to pass it on, to pass it on, uh, we'll see transformation that's a hundred years good. First five, how to love God. Then the second five, how to love others. And it starts with, don't kill each other. Don't kill each other. You shall not kill. Let's write that down. We're going to unpack it a little bit because some of you already feel attention. And that's good. You shall not kill. If you read it in your translation, here's the ESV, which is normally what we preach from here on Sunday mornings. Not that one translation is better than another. Um, it says, you shall not murder. Well, should I write down murder? I want you to write down kill. Okay. Some of you, if you have a King James or a new King James, uh, might say, thou shall not kill. Okay. Some uh, your ESVs, I think maybe the NIV, some other translations say, don't murder. Well, there's a tension. Is there a difference between those two words? Yes, there is. And it's a tension we need to live inside of this morning. Okay, I'm going to work real hard to get close to a line and not cross it. I think I did pretty good in the first service. My wife says she had no new ulcers. Okay, I'm going to try to walk up to, because there's things that come along with this commandment that beg conversation. Beg conversation concerning things you're very passionate about. Things you care about, things you vote about. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to open the can, I'm going to walk away. Because I would like to have that conversation with you. But here's not the place to dive deep into those things. I think here's the place just to step into the mystery. The mystery of don't kill. The mystery of don't murder. It's all about loving God and loving others. So how does this fit into all that? Because we're in a very broken world. Words matter. Next week, uh, one of our elders, Adam's going to be speaking. And we're excited. We were kind of walking through the message last night. Um, Adultery, everyone's favorite. Uh, The morning of the men's breakfast. So that'd be a great morning for all guys. Just kind of let's have some breakfast and let's get together and let one of our elders beat us all over the place. Uh, but it says, don't commit adultery. That word's very specific. It doesn't say, don't commit fornication. That's something else. Why is it God uses that word? Well, because God's communicating something very specific, and words matter. It's like in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. It says Sabbath. It doesn't say Saturday. It says Sabbath, because with that word comes something. So what does it mean, that word? To say murder is actually too narrow of a translation. Because then we explicitly think of the unlawful taking of another human life. 
But in the Hebrew Bible, the word that's translated there is used of other situations where it wasn't an unlawful taking of a human life. Accidents happen. So to say murder is too narrow, and also it kind of helps us get away with murder because it lets us justify some of the things that we as human beings like to do. But to say kill, is that, also, is that too general? Because if you read the Bible, it's a really gory book. There's a lot of killing that goes on in this book at the hands of God, at the hands of God's people. So do we have God doing something and God telling us to do something while at the same God, time God's telling us not to do something? Because that doesn't jive with me. The Passover, the catalyst for the Passover was what? God killed an entire generation of firstborns. Killing. Yeah. The Ten Commandments happen within the context of the story. As Israel goes into the promised land, you know what they're going to do? They're going to kill a lot of people. Commanded by God. They're going to march around the city of Jericho. The walls are going to come tumbling down. The whole city is to be ransacked. Everything is supposed to be destroyed. Everything. And then God says, don't kill. Do as I say, not as I do. Some of the people that we have a lot of reverence for in Scripture are known for being killers and murderers. God is described in the Bible as killing more people than Satan. Is God getting away with murder? There's a tension. And I want to leave the tension there because we live in this tension. We recognize that it's a broken, fallen world, and we recognize that sometimes very drastic things have to happen. But while at the same time, we recognize that God is a loving God, and so we feel stuck in this tension in a culture that does no idea the value of human life or what's human and what's not. We live in a tension. This commandment forces that tension upon us to illustrate not to inflame, just to illustrate. A woman, drug-laden by her own choice, can go to a hospital, pregnant. That baby will die as the result of her choices. And she will be charged with manslaughter. Right? That same woman, pregnant, can go to the same hospital, and abort that baby and not be convicted of manslaughter. I think our culture's a little confused. Right? And I'm not saying once, I'm just saying this commandment might be hitting us right where we're at as a people. What does it mean to say, 
don't kill each other. What is it that God needs us to get a hold of? This morning, there's a lot of things that can be said and should be said. Most of those things should be said across the coffee table with a coffee cup. And I, I really would love to do that with you. You know, at the end of this message, we're like, you know, Paul, I think you crossed some lines. Okay, let's talk about that. Today, I think this commandment is asking us to understand the value of humanity and understand our heart. And those two specific aspects I want to drill down on, on this morning. What does this commandment say about humanity? What does this commandment say about our hearts? Okay. So let's unpack the first one together. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, as we try to get an understanding of what it means when God says, don't kill each other. Genesis chapter 9. If it's not a verse that you want to read right now, you can write it down. I really encourage you to write it down and go look at it later. I think it's a key verse to understanding what this commandment rests on. Genesis 9, 5 to 7. Genesis 9, 5 to to seven. Context, this is post-flood. This is God coming to Noah, kind of laying out what the new creation's like going forward. Hey, you can eat plants. Hey, you can eat animals. Hey, I have some few things I need to say about violence because that's what got us in this mess. Okay, in Genesis 9, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. He says, hey, uh, I'm giving you plants, you can eat them, you can eat animals, but man's life, man's life, we need to talk about it. He says, human life has a value to it. So much so that when it's shed, I will demand a reckoning. There needs to be a balance restored. And so of man, I am now expecting righteous judgment to restore that balance. Man has value. He is the agency of judgment. But why? Look what he says. Did you see that in the end of verse six? For God made man in his own image. That's the important part. Circle that. Note that. For God made man in his own image. Humanity is the image of God. So if you're thinking about the Ten Commandments, one plus two equals six. One plus two equals six. First commandment, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of bondage. No other gods but me. Number two, don't make for yourself an idol. Why? Because you're my idol. You're my image. If those two things are true, then number six makes a lot of sense. If God's the only God and we are his image bearers, it only makes sense that God would then say, don't kill each other. You're my image bearer. We need to ask ourselves, well, what does that mean then? To bear the image of God. 
Some might say, well, that means to have emotions. That means to have a will. That means that God, you know, is six foot two and he has two hands. What does it mean to be the image bearer of God? To bear the image is to be given a job description. Genesis 1 verse 26, let us create man in our image. The whole unfolding of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is God building himself a temple on earth and putting his idol right in the middle of it. When this book is rolling out Genesis, when it's hitting the presses, there's temples all over the place. And you build a temple. Let's say we're building a temple to Zeus. We're going to build a great big temple to Zeus. And what are we going to put right in the middle of that temple? You put a what? A statue of Zeus, an image, an icon. You know that's not Zeus, but that is the image through which you can communicate to Zeus, right? Or Athena, or whatever your god of the time was. God builds on top of this language as he describes Eden in temple language. And what's the last thing that God puts in his temple? What's the last thing he puts in the middle of the garden? His image. He said, we're going to make man in our image. And God puts man right in the middle of it to say, you are my image bearer. You are the means by which creation can communicate with me. You are the means by which I will communicate and legislate my will upon my creation. I'm giving you a divine imperative. Go forth, be fruitful, multiply. You help creation flourish. You help creation be everything that it can possibly be. Another way to describe it, he uses the illustration, Adam, you're a gardener. Help it grow. Push back chaos. Help it thrive. You are my image bearer. You bring my will to my creation. My creation can look to you to understand all that things are to be. My sons, my oldest two sons, Lucas and Aiden, are soccer officials. It's their job, a little bit of pocket money, goes a long way. Okay. Unless you're one of my sons, then it doesn't go very far at all. Um, normally it stops off at Dollar General and it gets himself a big old soda drink and a lot of sugar candy. But that's, that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. Um, it's a great, easy job for teenage boys. They love soccer. They love being officials. They went through the training. They went through the classes. What is it that makes them a soccer official as opposed to anybody else who's sitting on the line? What enables them to stand and make calls and make decisions and legislate and move that game forward? Is it the whistle? Because that's pretty cool. You got a whistle. Nope, it's not the whistle. It's the fancy yellow jersey. Is it the yellow jersey? Nope. Nope. It's a patch that they receive from the Ohio Officiating Association that designates that they have completed and are capable and are able and are image bearers of that authority. To have that patch says we represent this authority and we have a responsibility on the field to decide what's in, what's out, what's fair, what's foul. We were at a game and they were short some refs and Lucas walked over. He says, hey, I'm also a ref. He didn't ask, do you have your whistle? He didn't ask, do you got your fancy shirt? He asked him, do you have a patch? 
It's the patch that communicates the image and the authority to decide what's supposed to happen. And what's a good ref? They don't side for one side or the other, do they? They don't play for one side or the other. They play for something higher. Yeah. God looks to you and he says, you are my image. You bear my image. Not because of your skin color, not because of your socioeconomic status, not because of your nationality, not because of your race, not because of your gender, not because of your sexuality, not because of who your mom or your dad is, none of those things. You know what makes you my image? You're a human. Humans are different than everything else that God has created. God didn't go to the plants. God didn't go to the dogs. God didn't, certainly didn't go to the cats. God... And the church split. (laughs) He went to humans and said to humanity, male and female, humanity, you are my image. Look around the room. Look, 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 look. Find someone. Look them in the eyes. Look them in the eyes. Look in as many people as you can. Look, please, look. Look here, look there, look there. Oh, they're asleep. Um, (laughs) You are not looking at a mere, meager human being. You are looking at God's representative on earth. Take that in. That is not just Paul. That is not just Doris. That is not just Essence. That is not just Harry. That is God's representative on earth. And that is incredible. That's amazing. That's humbling. No wonder God should say, don't hurt it. Don't damage it. Don't destroy it. It's precious to me. In the same way God says, the name is precious to me. My reputation matters and my representation matters. But what do we do? What do we do? What? We screw it up. We screw it up. We tell the story every single time. And no matter how good the story gets, no matter how, I'm an image bearer, I'm an image bearer. I am the image bearer. Oh, yes. What happens next in the story? What happens next in the story? We screw it up. Adam and Eve rebel. It's treason. But here's the amazing thing. This is very interesting to me. I'm a Bible geek. Genesis 3 is the treason. Genesis 4, the very first, first sin that is described of humanity, guess what it was? A brother kills a brother. 
As if we're not even going to build up to it. We're not even going to show you. We're going to make it soft and easy and then the music. No, we're just going to cut. You need to understand how broken is the human heart? How frail are we? How much has the image been corrupted? So corrupted that the very first thing we do is one of us kills his brother. That's what the heart is capable of. A few verses after that, there's even a guy named Lamech. He starts boasting about the people he's killed. Oh, I love to kill people. I love to kill me some people. You thought Cain could kill people? I could really kill me some people. And it just spirals out of control. So much so that God says, and the earth was filled with violence and corruption. Violence and corruption. Because you know what the heart wants to do? It loves playing God. And it will destroy other image bearers. Oh, like it's a hobby. And the earth was filled with corruption and violence. Instead of demonstrating God's presence, now we destroy and kill the image. The earth becomes full of it. God has to reboot it. Some of the, uh, the stories that we appreciate so much and examples we appreciate so much, especially through the Old Testament. Abraham, okay? Abraham had murder and killing on his resume. Yes. Raped and abused Egyptian slaves in his own household. Devaluing the image bearer. Yeah. Moses. Moses, leading the people out, had to go on the land from Egypt. Why? Murder. David, a man after God's own heart, David. God said to him, you're not allowed to build my temple because you're a man of violence. You're covered with blood. Story after story after story. Yes, the commandment, don't kill each other. Why? Because humanity is valuable and precious and bears the image of God while at the same time you need to understand you are prone to destroy other image bearers. Yeah, but I don't kill anybody. It's only a video game. It's only murder she wrote. I'm not killing anybody. I never murdered anybody. Then Jesus steps on the scene and he takes us literally right to the heart of the issue. Okay. Let's look at Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Matthew 5, verses 21 through 23. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' giving of his law. New king, new kingdom, new people means new commandments. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Real important piece of scripture. I've said this before. If you want to change your life, read the Sermon on the Mount every day for 40 days. Okay? And you'll start to get to the heart of Jesus' life. Okay? How his kingdom operates. In Matthew chapter 5, let me start reading in verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Yeah, that's right. But I say to you, 
Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus, this isn't, Jesus takes murder out of the hands and now he puts it right into the heart. This is a heart issue. And you might not murder, but your heart is still angered and inflamed and impassioned and bittered and rages. Is this to do the one? Is this like doing the other? To do it verbally? Like doing it physically? Why? Because you are degrading and belittling and smearing an image bearer. An image bearer is God's presence on earth. So when you get angry, when you call them a fool, when you call them an idiot, and this is a basic slang term, you could insert anyone in there. Jesus says, you're just as accountable to the fires of hell because God values the image bearer that much. And your heart is that corrupt. You'll be liable to the hell of fire. Then he goes on and says, but let me show you a better way of being human. If you jump over in the same chapter, just to verse 43. But you've heard that it was said, verse 43. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I like that. That's balance. That makes sense. I like to like the people I like. I like to hate the people I hate. And there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. And they're enemies, um, you know, because, you know, that's just what Michigan is. And so, sorry for them. And I'm allowed to hate them. They're my enemies, and so I hate them. I like the equation. That's balanced. It feels good. I like the people I like. I don't like the people I don't like. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be, this is important, sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So he makes this really high, almost a platitude that's out of reach. I don't think that means that we're not supposed to be able to strive for it. But he says, hey, you're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because that's what the Father does. And you're an image bearer. That you might be sons of the Father. That phrase, sons of the Father, to say son of something means of the same type. Okay? To say a son of the prophets means it's a prophet like the prophets. Okay? A son of God means one of the same type as God. If I love my enemies and I pray for those who persecute me, I am now being the same type as God the Father. Who does what? He sends the sun on the just and the unjust. He sends the rain on the good and the evil. And I must be perfect as he is perfect. I am to reflect what he is because I'm an image bearer.
He's not my enemy. He's my brother. Thanks be to God, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Here's the challenge with this. If you take this to its logical conclusion, it opens up a whole can of current cultural questions and problems, doesn't it? The expectation of a follower of Jesus that he loves his enemy and he lays down his life for his enemy. Well, how does that reflect in gun legislation? I have my rights. Women's rights. Abortion questions. Can a follower of Jesus serve in the military? Hmm. These are all good questions. These are excellent questions. And followers of Jesus have wrestled with those questions. Is it murder or is it killing? Is it justified? Is it right? This is what God said. This is what Jesus said. Can't I just be a good American? Why do I have to be a good Christian too? I mean, can't I just, aren't they the same thing? If I'm a good American, aren't I then a good Christian? Because if there's one thing we Americans are good at, it's like, you punched us? I'm going to nuke you, right? That's kind of the way we are. You, you slap me, I'm slapping you back. We, we define sometimes what it means to be as an American as holy, righteous retribution. We carry a big stick and make sure no one else carries one. And sometimes we will rationalize and justify our actions as nations have done for thousands of years as, well, since we did it, I'm sure God wanted us to do it. They had it coming. We are the righteous hand of God. Because you can certainly, can't you? You can go to the Old Testament. You can find lots of examples where God lays waste to millions of people sometimes. I recognize that there's a line and there's a can that's getting opened. And you feel deeply about these things. And all the way that it might play out. And some of you are like, come on, Paul, say it. Come on, I want you to say it. Say it, because I know I'm right. You're like, Paul, don't say it, because I know you're wrong. Well, let's sit down and talk about it. Let's sit down and talk about how that plays out in your own life. Don't kill each other. I think it's enough for us today as followers of Jesus Christ to one, Let's just focus on being good followers of Jesus Christ. Which means this morning, instead of my rights, maybe it's my responsibilities as an image bearer. Here's one. To work to honor human value. 
Because there's something inside of that term in Exodus 20 where it says don't kill each other that includes negligence and carelessness. Can we, as a people of God, because we are image bearers, charged with helping life flourish, can we key in on where we see negligence and carelessness to other human beings or creation in general? Can we speak out on those things? Can we speak life and light and love in areas where we see death and destruction? I think this, this commandment asks me to check my heart. Because apparently the words say something. What comes out of my mouth says something. Here. Stay with me. I've seen what you've posted on Facebook. Okay? I've seen it. I've read it. Sometimes I'll put like you know, a little happy, unhappy emoji sign just because I'm like, I don't understand why you did that. I don't care if you voted for him or not. What you said violates scripture. That president is an image bearer of God. And now you are in violation of your creator. And it doesn't matter what president we're talking about, does it? And no matter what political person we're talking about. And I get it, because we're in that middle, in the middle election season. Dude, the ads are coming up on my phone, right? And you're seeing them on TV, and you're seeing the signs. And you know what's really easy to do? Ah, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. She's an idiot. And God says, and that's just as guilty. Because that human being is an image bearer of God. And so it calls me to check my heart and give thanks to Jesus who fulfilled the law for me. I think this commandment asks me to embody Christ better. Jesus at no point tried to get away with murder. At no point. He didn't change terms. He didn't change words. He didn't try to justify his political position. Oh, well, they're a Democrat. Oh, well, they're a Republican. Oh, well, they're old. Oh, well, it's just a fetus. He didn't change terms at any point, nor did he try to get away with murder at any point. When they mocked him, you know what he did? He kept his mouth shut. And when they came to murder him, you know what he did? He let them do it. How could I embody those things? Because I'm not called to be a good American. I'm called to be a good follower of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom. Here's a passage that might be helpful as we close this up. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 21 through 23. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. 
For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. What's that example? Well, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. That means mock. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How can we take this commandment and maybe press into it a little bit this week? Uh, let's do what we've practiced since the beginning of this series. Uh, four things. Each night, ask these four things of yourself. How can this commandment teach me? What does this commandment teach me? This commandment teaches me that humanity is precious in God's eyes. It's of great value. God, God values humanity. They're image bearers. It also teaches me about my heart, doesn't it? it teaches me about my heart. I like to get away with murder. I like to get away with murder. Not good for one who's to reflect a life of ministry and love. Two, turn into a point of thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for my participation in restoration uh, to help others become the best versions of themselves as they grow in Christ's likeness. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You don't despise me. You delight in me. My neighbor too. But confession. But God, these are things that I said today. God, these are things that I did to devalue the image. God, these are things that I said to that person. These are the thoughts that I had. Thought, word, and deed. God, that was wrong. That was oh so wrong. Will you forgive me? And then tomorrow, prayer, God, help me. As a good image bearer, help others bear your image too. All humanity. Help me to love my enemies. How much is he worth? How much is that other person worth? How much is that other human being worth? From conception to the grave, it's worth whatever you're willing to pay for it. What did he pay for it? May the Lord bless you. And the Lord keep you as you, his image bearers, bring the world peace. Amen. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note 
a member of our Hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.